Maybe you own a dog, or maybe you own a cat, or maybe you don't own any animal at all. But you probably know that your cats and dogs are considered to be domesticated animals. They've learned to live in the home after years and years and years of selective breeding. We got dogs of all different types and breeds of cuddliness and cuteness and sometimes hairless for some reason. But we know that those animals have been domesticated. But so have cows and sheep and ram and fish. But even on a smaller scale, bacteria, yeast, and mold have been domesticated too. Something we probably don't think about too, too often. My name is Louis Quilarotolo, and I'm a domesticated homo sapien at the University of Guelph, trying my best to get a PhD in food science. And I like to have conversations with similar scientists like myself still students. We're either in graduate school or just got ourselves out of it, but we have a lot of stuff that we want to talk about, and we have a lot of information that is worth passing down. Today I'm going to be talking with Catherine Chacon Vardagas, who is nuts about domesticating itty-bitty-bitty creatures that are microbes. That would be bacteria, yeast, and mold. And she's certainly not going to be winning a blue ribbon for best in show when it comes to showing off the domestication of her microbes. But she's going to teach us a lot of things that go along the way of why we domesticate bacteria, yeast, and mold, and what that really does as for a benefit of us. And she's really going to introduce us to something that's pretty important, the reason why we have so many different types of cheeses. As you listen to this radio show, keep in mind one thing. We're just students, and we really don't know everything. But that's why you're listening to We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing today? Hi, Liz. Good. How are you? I am doing good, good over here. Could you do us all a favor for the good people listening? What is your education background? Yeah, sure. So, uh, hi to everyone that is listening. I'm really happy to be here. Um, so, I'm from Colombia, and I'm from a really small town in the middle of the country, which is known as the coffee region. And that's what I, I got my bachelor in the regional university, which is called Universidad Quindío. And I did my mayor in biology, so I'm a biologist. And as pure as hard as it can be, I started this career because I was really much enjoying just being outside and just like magnified by plants and animals. I'm very curious about like how like life. And um, I grew up uh, in pretty much that like a forest region. So I was very connected with nature and that's what I got involved into into biology. And just like every single class that I took, it just got me more involved and more in love of, of this uh, career. So then where are you now? So I, I worked for a couple of years in a lab uh, in the capital in, in Bogota. And after that, I was, I was like, in my mind, I want to pursue uh, a higher career education. So I went for a PhD uh, degree and I started applying for different schools in the U.S. I first ended up in a lab uh, that is where Worcester in Massachusetts. So I started my PhD there. But like funny things that happen in life, then my, my advisor, my PI, he got transferred. He got a new job with a new university. So uh, we all got transferred with him to this new university, which is the uh, University of, of Massachusetts, UMass Amherst. 
And that's what I'm currently I'm, uh, pursuing my degree and my PhD degree in the molecular and cellular biology program. I understand exactly what you're talking about. My advisor did a very similar thing. She changed her job, which meant that I had to move to a new country in order to finish my job. Um, of course, I wanted to. I didn't have to. Um, but I understand completely what it's like to have to uh, be shuffled around at the uh, the whims and will of your employment. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was fun at first. Like the first time you're just freaking out and you're like, oh, my God, this is a big change. But just realizing that you're still able to do the same the same research and just keep working the things that you love, that definitely make you better. So I'm really happy uh, currently at UMass. Oh, well, that is good news. So what do you do at UMass? So my research involves um, working with, with microbes. So these little creatures that are pretty much everywhere you go, everywhere you look, or every single thing that you touch. So we work with microorganisms that are associated with different types of food. So these organisms are used to mostly do fermentation and then able to create different type of uh, food and making different type of flavors for the food, a different type of textures for the food. Yeah, so off the top of my head, I'm thinking of all the fermented foods out there that have some sort of bacteria that do a job for food. Uh, let's make a list. I'll go one, then you do one. How's that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> all right, I'm going to start us off with yogurt. Yes, so yogurt, then I will go with uh, uh, maybe a, a similar one, but it's like less known, kefir. Oh, I love kefir. I could drink like a quart of that. Not that that was a good thing for me to do for my body, but I could drink like a quart of it at one time. Wow. Does it have like a timing? Can you do it in like a, a certain amount of time, like to go to a Guinness record or something like that? You know, I haven't tried, but I'm totally not against trying. <laughs> Food, I'm going to say kimchi. Kimchi. Yes. So I'll go with sauerkraut. You know, I knew you were going to go for sauerkraut. Now I have to go for something like German pickles. <laughs> German pickles. Okay, okay. Then, you know, I, I'm just going to go for like the safe then. I'm going to go with cheese. Blue cheese. If we're mm. going to specific. Oh, well, see, now we can't, we can't spend the entire show today going down every type of cheese there is. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to do one that people might not think of immediately as fermented, but bread. Bread. Yes, okay, we're going safe. Fine. Then, very similar to bread and now becoming very popular, sourdough. Ugh, sourdough. I have a sourdough in my fridge. Um, all right, I give up on naming fermented foods. Let's talk a little bit more about specifically what you do with these little creatures. So, uh, what people may not be really familiar with is that as we have been able to, to domesticate different animals and plants in general, we have been doing the same thing for almost the same amount of time to microbes. So we can date domestication from like 10,000 years ago and exactly there are records on the similar time that we have been able to, to domesticate or different type of microbes that are able to do all these different type of food that we just mentioned. So what we do in the lab is just take those all these different strains and we uh, analyze which characteristic on their genome are changing in order to produce all these different traits that are able to create all these different type of food. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. Domestication. When I think of domestication, 
I think of all the different breeds of dogs that we have. You got German Shepherds that go all the way down to Pugs and Chihuahuas and Burmese Mountain Dogs. There are so many different varieties of dogs, but when it comes down, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, aren't all dogs the same species? Exactly. They are the same species. They just have different traits that uh, make them very different. So some of them could be fluffier. Some of them could have uh, really big paws. Some of them have could, could have really thick hair. Some of them could have like a really uh, stiff nose. But they all are the same species. So even within, let's take golden retrievers. Even within just golden retrievers alone, we can have golden retrievers with bigger paws, smaller paws, bigger nose, smaller nose, uh, larger muscles in the back, smaller muscles in the back, longer hair, shorter hair. Um, and they're all still golden retrievers, right? Exactly. And I, this is really fun because I have a golden retriever that is sitting right here next to me. And I just really love to look at him and compare them to other, uh, other type of dogs. I, of course, I'm going to say mine is the cutest. Mine is the is the prettiest that, that it is. But yes, they're all the same. What's species. his name? His name is Oliver. Adorable. So, okay, let's now relate all of these golden retrievers, even if you own the most perfect golden retriever out there. Let's relate this back to bacteria. We got bacteria. Let's say we're picking one specific bacteria, like, uh, well, name one that you work with. Uh, let's say I work with Simonis mobilis. What, what, what? <laughs> sure, whatever. We'll go with that one. Okay. What what is its main job? So its main job, uh, we can also relate to the most common one, which is E. coli. Right, everyone is uh, at certain level familiar with E. coli, right? So E. coli or uh, Salmonella mobilis, the one that I work with, they do the very similar jobs. So what they do is they take these really big molecules, let's say sugar, and they turn them into alcohol. So that's if you ask me, that's a, the coolest job ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. You know, there's perks to this job. Continue. So that's what they just like take the molecule and they turn it into something else. And that something else is, is the thing that we actually take advantage of. So in, in our case, I have like E. coli to produce the E. coli is uh, very useful in biofuel industry. And also Simonis is also really useful in the biofluid industry because they're able to take huge tons of sugar and then like turn them into like a really big amount of alcohol and that alcohol you can turn it into like energy yeah and this is you know biofuels like you said this is where you know we get the thing that uh, oh they use corn to make gasoline which always you know that that confuses me because i'm not really a, a biochemist in in that sense but they use these high amount of sugar like we find in corn and they do this fermentation of sorts and then they can make a product like gasoline after a number of steps but it's more or less that kind of situation exactly and that's like also i'm not a biochemist i'm not an expertise in this topic so i try to speak really carefully of what i know but i just look at the big picture and like from from where our research does is just these um, these uh, type of bacteria they take these molecules they turn it into something else and what we really want to know as like as in, in our lab we just want to know which genes are actually allowing this process to happen. So real quick, let's 
clarify something real fast. And this is a job that I've always asked molecular biologists to do whenever I talk to them. Could you just give us the quickest possible explanation that is still understandable about what a gene does and how that determines how a bacteria behaves? Sure. I think so. You can have like from the most uh, very complicated type of concept for a gene, or the really uh, very numb concept for a gene. And I really like to go for the numb concept. So it's a structure that has your information, the information that is going to be eventually translated into a specific trait. So let's say you have, uh, if we go, for example, for, for dogs that we were talking about earlier. So there are those uh, genes that have these specific information that they pretty much are setting the patterns of how that dog is going to be. So is it going to be a big dog? Is it going to be a small dog? Is it going to have big paws? The small paws, is it going to have this type of color? Is it going to have, is it going to be blue? Is it going to be they're not blue dots, but is it going to be yellow? Is it going to be orange? Is it going to be uh, black or, or brown? So these are like a code, right? It is what we call the genetic code. A lot of people it, have heard that phrase before. Yeah, it is what we call the genetic code. Right, and like a computer runs on a code, our bodies run on a code, and this executes a program. And in the case of the dogs, it executes golden hair, or it executes bigger paws. Exactly. Yeah, so we have these genes for bacteria. What? Why do you look at these genes? Why do we care? Because so these genes are the ones that are making possible the process to turn in big molecules. So in, in, in case we have these genes that are, they are making these other structures, or they translate to these other structures that are called proteins. So proteins, let's just think about uh, as like another molecule that is going to do a job and the job to break down something. And when it breaks it down, then it turns that element into something else. They have a specific function, and they're going to be able to either break down some elements, and when they break down, they're able to turn those elements into something else. So basically, and I've tried to be as, as simple as I can, so once you have uh, that information on your genes, in the case of a bacteria, then that gene is going to be translated to a protein, and that protein is going to uh, break down the sugar molecule. And once you break down the sugar molecule, then as a result, we're gonna end up having alcohol molecules. So, okay, so then our, our genes are kind of like a job description. They're going to tell us what we are going to end up being doing at our job. Would you say that that's like kind of right? I really like that. I think I'm gonna keep using that. <laughs> yeah, all right, deal, patent it. Make sure you tell everyone I said it, okay? Okay, okay, I'll give you credit for it. Thank you, thank you. I, I'm not narcissistic, but you better tell everyone. <laughs> okay. So, all right, we have these proteins that we make. Different bacteria make different proteins. Why study it? Why bother? Okay, they make a protein, they make alcohol, great. So the the fact that like having different, different bacteria able to, to create or to have all these different uh, abilities, let's say like that's, that uh, in our company, right? So we have this job description, which is gonna be our genes and then whatever function it, they're having, then that's gonna be our protein. But then like you have all the different abilities, um, right? You have different uh, individuals that are gonna, they're gonna make, or they're gonna have a different either title or they're gonna have a different uh, function in that company. So that's the, ho the, the whole point is just to, in the case of bacteria to study all these different 
functions, all these different titles that they have. And the reason is like knowing these functions, then we're gonna able to find out why are they producing the molecules they're producing. And the reason that we want to know which molecules are they producing are because those are the molecules that we are taking advantage of. So in the example that I just did for going from sugar into alcohol, it's not that we're using just alcohol like for making alcoholic beverage, but also like using alcohol, as you just mentioned before, to energy production. So you have all these different uh, tons of alcohol being produced by bacteria that are maybe used into the biofluid industry. But at the same time, you have the same alcoholic molecules, the same alcohol molecules to be involved in food industry. So you have all these different variety of, of jobs and function and characteristics that allow you to have um, different type of of results out of your company. Is the bacteria that makes the alcohol for food and the bacteria that makes the alcohol for biodiesel the same bacteria? They both make alcohol. Why are they different? So some of those bacteria, they they have, the, the very interesting part is that they have exactly very similar um, structures. They have very similar genes. They share very similar genetic code, very similar information, then I ended up having the very similar but there are some extra genes or there are some extra information that bacteria may have that allows them to be more efficient. So that that's also in the case, in the example of alcohol, for example, comparing E. coli versus the other bacteria um, that I mentioned, Simomonas, then Simomonas have um, all like an extra couple of like, I don't know, abilities, right? And those abilities allows this bacteria to be more efficient. So it's like, for example, you competing against a computer, right? When you're doing some processing uh, analysis and then the computer can do it in five minutes, in five seconds, while you may take a little bit longer. So those extra abilities, it's what makes these, um, the difference among these, these two different type of bacteria or like any, any type of bacteria. So is it really just a race between all industries, biofuel and fermentation for foods and other products, is it just a race to find the absolute best bacteria out there? Or is there some sort of advantage to having different types of bacteria? I think it, it, it is a little bit of both. So having a very good worker, like a bacteria that could do the job really fast, that's the goal, I, I may say, but also, um, there are some some bacteria, and in, in this case, there are not just bacteria, but also other microbes like fungi, that they are easier to grow. So you will think that bacteria and fungi are able to, to grow anywhere, but some of them, they could get really picky. <laughs> so some of them grow on a specific conditions, and if you don't have those conditions, then it is really hard to, to continue with the rest of the process, right? Like you aiming to have these really high amount of alcohol, but if you can make your bacteria grow, you can make your bacteria happy to grow, then that the process is not gonna happen. So I also like for, for companies in general, like, and that's why like in general biotechnology aims for, is just uh, modifying these organisms in order to have a bacteria that is easy to grow, that is not gonna cost a lot of money, and but also it's able to do the job pretty fast okay i get it now i think i understand they do a very similar job and they might even be the same amount of efficient 
but if the temperature is going to be a little bit too high or if the if there's too much salt it might die so you need to kind of balance the efficiency with its ability to survive exactly and i like to think like when you're doing the job and then for example in your office and now that we are all in quarantine and we have to stay home and like that that's the case for me when the day it's like a little bit raining and te I tend to be more efficient in my job. So I tend to be faster because I, I don't want to be wasting time. But when the day is like, it's so warm, it's sunny outside and I just, I just don't want to do anything. So I become lazy in my job. So it's the same thing. There are certain conditions that bacteria and other type of microorganisms like fungi, they need in order to be able to be happy and grow and able to do their job. I, I have to tell you that I, I absolutely love the way that you explain that. That has to be in my top 10 favorite ways to look at something, because you said like as as a worker, there are days you as a human who's, you know, unknown level of complexity being a human have, you know, certain conditions that make you a good worker and certain conditions that make you a bad worker. So I'm, I thank you very much. I'm in love with that uh, connection that you just made. Oh, you're welcome. And I will also take credit for that one. I'll give you credit for that one. Let's uh, flush this out just a little bit more. So let's say I'm making three different food products. I'm making a, uh, a alcohol from corn, I'm making an alcohol from rice, and I'm making an alcohol from wheat. So even in this, all of the conditions in which the bacteria are gonna grow, are going to be different. The level of heat, the amount of alcohol that you want in the end, how much sugar is in the original solution, how long it's going to go, how long you're going to stir it. So all of these things mean you need a more or less very specific bacteria to do the job. Would you say that that's correct? Exactly. And like that's if, if we go back a little bit when we were uh, talking about domestication in general, that's exactly how domestication happened. So we have the same organism that we start with, and then but we have all these different type of conditions. So we we run in an experiment and we change temperature and we suddenly decide to change like the amount the levels of uh, humidity that is in the environment, but then we can also change like different resources, right? Because bacteria and fungi, they also have to, to feed themselves. So the some resources are gonna be rich in sugar, some other are gonna be rich in other elements that bacteria and fungi like to eat. So all these different type of environments allows them to adapt to those conditions and that are gonna create all these different variety of, of products. So that's why going from, from one organism let's say yeast, we can end up having bre uh, bread, we can have wine, we can have uh, all these different type of beer. And uh, when we compare all of them, then is that the information that they have, it's actually very different. So it's the same organism, but because they were growing and they were breeding in different conditions, they have they tend to have a uh, difference you always talk about we want these conditions for bacteria to grow why can't we just you know dump some bacteria into our big vat of corn sugar and just let them do their job why do we have to make sure that they're growing oh that's that's actually a very interesting question so when we talk and i think we, we can go now into the fermentation field so there are different ways that we can ferment stuff 
So one way is when we are very sophisticated and we and uh, we use this all these instruments and tools and create this perfect environment for this specific type of either bacteria or fungi to grow and then being able to produce a specific product. So in most of the cases, um, and the most popular one, it, uh, it could be yeast. And then we need to create this perfect environment for yeast so they can grow. And when they grow, they're going to be able to produce the more common example is alcohol, breaking down sugar to turn it into alcohol. But there is another way of fermentation that it's also becoming very popular. It's been very popular in traditional cultures because that's exactly the way how it starts the fermentation. So it is not that someone decide to take this yeast from, from a specific place or take this bacteria in their hands and then just like throw them in something and start fermentation. It, it didn't quite happen that, that as like like that it happened more like there was like a uh, i don't know a huge pile of leftovers right a huge pile of um, corn or any other type of food and of course all these um when they're in the environment they're gonna get contaminated so that good contamination that we call now is like being colonized but all the different type of microbes so it is not just bacteria but also all these different variety of fungi that we can also find in the environment and they're competing among each other and their uh, forces and then changing some of the conditions and at the end we can we can end up having uh also fermented products as uh one that what i can think about it could be cheese that is fermented or sourdough that's also the way the sourdough is fermented you just throw a pile of um of flour with water and that's it you just let it in the environment and that like good contamination allows uh different type of microbes to grow and start the process so it could happen both ways it doesn't have to be one specific so this is kind of like an environmental fermentation and you know the sourdough some of that flour has a little bit of uh, bacteria and yeast in it and then the air as well yes you can find that's the the great thing about microbes you can find them everywhere you can't escape from them we have them on our skin we have them on our hands we have them on the table on the floor it's likely to be colonized by microbes we can't see them but they're there all right and then i'm gonna bring up something that i have a deep 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 passion for and that i'm surprised that we haven't talked about yet is that a phenomenal example of this environmental fermentation is tied down to where you live coffee is fermented this way exactly yes and then like some some really interesting studies recently i, I don't know the reason but i i get to know them really better recently and I, I it seems to to be like the type of migrate with the soil and eventually they're gonna be on the on the bean of coffee also change the flavor of coffee and allows them to have different um either texture and these um aromatic senses and different flavors, which I, I actually think is pretty cool like from just like the coffee bean, but like the organisms associated to it, to the soil and to the surface of the bean, you can have all different type of, of flavors. Okay. And this is super, super cool, uh, which a lot of people unfortunately probably haven't experienced uh, the quality of coffee that's possible. 
because as a food scientist, I know that a uh, majority of the coffee that we drink in at least a lot of the Western world is a blend of a lot of different beans from a lot of different farms in a lot of different regions. But if you go down to the single farm level, you get your beans all from one farm, it's going to have such a distinct flavor profile. But that flavor profile might be different than the beans from the farm down the road. Exactly. And I feel like if you are a, um, a coffee lover and like you just normally have coffee from like the store and, and yeah, you go just like having your, your already blend coffee, that's totally fine. But I would definitely recommend to go to a coffee store and then get the grain like from a specific region and then just like uh, grind it yourself and then pour them into a little bit of like warm water, not really hot, but you can also burn your coffee and try the experience. You can definitely, I don't know if it is just me, but I, I can sense the difference. Like you said, I'm on one type of coffee that I bought from one farm and the other type of coffee, they farm uh, next door. And uh, for the people listening, if you are going to a coffee store, the hot word you want to use in order to get this type of coffee is you're going to say you want single origin coffee. Uh, you will be paying a lot more than if you go to Tim's or, or you know, Starbucks, that's for sure. But it is going to just blow your mind. It's almost going to not taste like the coffee that you've uh, drank your entire life if you've had, you know, the McDonald's coffee your whole life. Yes, exactly. It is a little bit expensive, but it is definitely worth it. Oh, it's worth it. It is worth it. And honestly, you are making me like drool because I think about coffee like 24 hours a day. So even the fact that it is like not coffee drinking time for like the normal world, uh, it is still making like my mouth water. So, you know, I could do an entire show just about coffee. Okay, so we have bacteria. They are growing. They are producing things. We want the efficient ones. We want the ones that work in certain environments. Now, here is a question I have, and I hope that you can uh, answer this one. You said that a lot of different companies, they want to make their own bacteria that does their job. Is there more or less like a lot of competition between these types of companies? You definitely want to have the best workers in your company, right? So you definitely want to, that's why when biotech, what biotech is it's aiming for, I may say, is, is having uh, the type of bacteria or the type of fungi then can do the job and can do it well, I can do it fast, and you don't have to pay a lot of money for it. So maybe there is a lot of competition. And I also have heard from big brewers and I was in a, in a tour for a specific brewer company and they seem to be pretty jealous about the strain they're using to brew their, their own beer. So that I think like what you said in your statement could be true because I definitely, if you have something that is uh, very specific and is super efficient, and you're making money out of that, then you may don't want to share that with the rest of the world. Yeah, right? Unless the rest of the world is paying for it, you're not about to share your your workers with the world. You want to keep your workers. Yep, exactly. Oh, that is just such an interesting way of looking at it. I, I really do like that. All right, so we talked about our bacteria. They have certain jobs. They like different environments. They do certain things. But a lot of times, we start with the same material. Take, for example, cheese. Uh, all cheese, for the most part, comes from one thing. It comes from, let's for now, let's just stick with cow milk. 
So how is it possible that we have all of these varieties of cheese? We have Swiss and cheddar and brie and Roquefort and blue. How is it possible to get all these cheeses if we're starting with milk? Well, yeah, there's a magic of fermentation, I may say. So basically, we the cheese starts with a this, as you say, with a similar component. And in this case, it's a, a type of fungi that is to a specific group that is called uh, penicillin. So we may be familiar with penicillin that also it's a fungi that allows us to discover antibiotics. Oh, so that is what like a shot of penicillin comes from, something that this this penicillin bacteria made? Exactly. And the story is it's super funny. And if roughly the story is like this guy has this um, environment, right? And then he was growing certain type of fungi. And he realizes that, that that environment that he has, it was getting contaminated with bacteria. So he just let it be, and then he, he was getting super frustrated, and then after a couple of days, then that environment also got contaminated with this type of fungi, which is called penicillin. So what he realizes is that whenever, like, whatever region the penicillin fungi was growing, bacteria wasn't growing in there. So that was super cool because he found out that that's actually, like, the, how the, the antibiotics started. Every, like all these molecules, specific molecules that fungi produces, they inhibits the growing of bacteria. So yeah, that is more or less what an antibiotic is. So so this penicillium is making an antibiotic that is, you know, curing a lot of diseases for us. But also this penicillium, which is the genus, that's you know an order of uh, where it is on the evolutionary scale. This this genus of bacteria is also making cheese. Now, did you say all cheeses come from uh, penicillium? So all cheeses, as far as I know, and I'm not a cheese expert, but as far as I know, they all come from the same uh, type of uh, genus, uh, fungi genus, which is penicillium. Well, then if they all come from penicillium, why are they so different? So they do belong to the same group. They have, they belong to the same genus, but they have, so they're, they were able to grow in different environments and the different characteristics that allow them to grow in those different environments make them different from each other. So it's like, for example, you have uh, a couple of siblings that they have the same mom, the same dad, but they one grew on the West Coast and the other one grew on the East Coast. Different hobbies, that so they will have different things that they like. Um, they come different from the same family, but because of the environment they grow in, that makes them different. So for example, in the case of, of blue cheese, the one that makes blue cheese is Penicillium Booker 40, and the color also, the name blue cheese. And on the other side, we have for Brie, and for that one, the, the fungi in charge of making those is called Penicillium Camembert, which is, uh, I think it's very creative, Penicillium Camembert to make Camembert cheese, really funny. But uh, it also, it makes a the different type of cheese. So it came from the same the same family, but make them uh, really different, make them able to make all these different of cheeses. It's worth mentioning that uh, uh, the Roccaforti is what makes Roquefort cheese. Uh, and that's a special cheese from France. It's just, it's blue cheese from France. So it's, you know, it's special because it's from France. You know, it's one of those kinds of things. <laughs> it also is very important to keep in mind that sometimes the process of how we're making the cheese is different. Like a, a camembert or a brie cheese, uh, they spray the mold to the outside to make sort of a, um, a container. 
and that's why it has that that round shape whereas some are mixed in like the blue cheese has the uh the mold streaked through it exactly so i think like an easy way to put it it also could be that being in these different environments and remember that humans are the one selecting for it so we are the ones creating this environment so the let's say the ancestor from all these cheeses they have um I don't know, they, it's able to produce blue spores uh, and it's a, it's toxins as well because toxins are really important for, for fungi to fight in, in natural environments. And that's the thing that they don't need in domesticated environments. So the ancestor, they're going to change once we put these, these different type of fungi in, in these specific environments. So in the case of blue cheese, then the, the fact that they, they're still able to retain some of those spores and able to produce these diff- specific flavors, molecules that are very strong, that produce that really strong smell for cheese. That those are like difference that we were selecting for in those specific environments. So humans selecting for those specific characteristics are actually the driven tool that allowed from one organism to came up with different type of, of variety of food. So could you do a favor for me? Could you wrap up this entire show with a moral of the story? What do you want the takeaway to be from this entire episode? Okay, let's see. Well, this is definitely a lot of information, but I'll say that um, knowing that we have been able to domesticate different organisms, like humans are pretty high skills, and it's impressive that we have been able to domesticate not just plant and animals, but also microorganisms. thing is that we were able to domesticate things that we didn't see and we actually not seen directly. And then still we got pretty lucky and ended up having all these different type of uh, food that nowadays are becoming more popular. And now some of them actually are part of very traditional cultures and some of them are becoming part of our diet and some of them have really high um, health benefits for us. So I think number one, been really impressive the way that we were able to turn these things into a benefit for us and domesticate these little things that we don't see. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a real pleasure. No problem. It was really fun. (laughs) Our conversation today with Catherine took us down a long and interesting path that described why we even care about doing something as silly as domesticating little bacteria that we can't even see with our naked eye. But it turns out that these bacteria play an incredibly important role in our lives. And that most important role, in my opinion, is most likely making cheese and bread. As emerging scientists in our fields, we always have to identify the very fact that we are indeed just that, emerging scientists. And we don't know everything, which is why the show is called We Know Some Stuff. Therefore, at the end of every episode, we find it super important here to just have a little fact correction. Uh, Clear a few things up, make sure that we didn't say anything too, too wrong, and go along on our merry days. One thing that does need correcting and re-clarifying is the simplicity of cheesemaking. Now, cheesemaking is 
incredibly, incredibly intense process between the type of milk that you choose, the amount of fat that is in the original amount of milk that you use, processing of which you do so, but mainly it's the bacteria, yeast, and mold that do the job. Now in the episode, Catherine at one point said that uh, a lot of the cheeses would come from the penicillium family, the penicillium roqueforti and the penicillium camembert, which make your roquefort or blue cheese and camembert or brie cheese respectively. But this is not the only genus. This isn't that the only grouping of bacteria, yeast, and mold that do these jobs. If you were looking to ferment something like Swiss cheese, that is made from a line of bacteria uh, that are called the Propionor bacterium shermani. That gives it kind of that distinct Swiss stank, to say the least. But it also is a combination of other different bacteria. There's a little bit of Lactobacillus uh, casei and a some uh, Streptococcus dithermocophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophophoph